Local independent restaurants are a vital part of the Portland community and could really use a hand up. Tell your local representative to support the Restaurants Act. Learn more and get started at saverestaurants.com. This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. As always, we're so proud to have Zupan's Markets, uh, I believe, four years sponsoring the podcast, and we so appreciate that. But they've been around since 1975. They are the local supermarket in Portland with three locations that we'll go over with in a little bit. But right now, it's holiday time, and you want to take advantage of Saturday, December 12th, one day only, 40% off gourmet food gifts. That's from truffle products and oils, foie gras, aged balsamic vinegar all over the lot. And if, if you've been to Zupans, you know they have only the highest quality products imported from the best sources in the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking <laughs> of holidays, Chris, uh, right now is the time for you to go to Zupans.com and reserve your meal. You want to do this before Saturday, December 19th. Obviously, we're celebrating uh, the most delicious time of the year. Uh, they've got great holiday roasts or they're ready to make sides. We did this for Thanksgiving and the mashed potatoes at Zupans that you basically just throw in your oven and heat up are like heaven on earth. So, so good. Uh, so many different things that you can uh, get, including uh, Snake River Farms, Wagyu grass-fed, uh, grass-run farmed beef, uh, prime and choice and dry-aged, all sorts of options to make uh, your holiday, whether it's uh, Christmas or uh, Hanukkah, which you can order a great meal for Zupans as well. And they have a really nice, it's really nice packaging. When you pick it, up, pick it up, it's got your name on it, and it's everything is ready to serve and with instructions it's just an awesome way to go we had the prime rib and some sides last year so good i'm I actually i i've been thinking about the mashed potatoes since thanksgiving and uh i'm going to make sure i put that in my order they do have some updated holiday store hours you need to be aware of uh the week of christmas december 21st and 23rd open from 6 to 10 on christmas eve they will shut down at 6 p.m and then closed as they should be on Christmas Day. So make sure you mark that in your calendars. Uh, three locations, Lake Oswego, West Burnside, McAdam, and always where? Zupans.com. All right, it's time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And Court Johnson over there, who just informed me that not only is he running operations at kink.fm, but also the entire country. Well, pretty- station. <laughs> station. Very <you>. nice pause. <laughs> I thought that was uh, when, you, when you were telling me, oh, the whole country, and then you... Country, the country station, yeah. What I'm, is the country station over there? I'm not familiar. Well, with it's ninety-eight-seven. The Bull. It's uh, a, a a heritage country station. Used to be known just as KUPL. It's call letters, but it's been around for a long time. And I've been able to put on my Stetson cowboy hat, uh, throw on some extra cologne and some cowboy boots once or twice a week, and uh, pretend I know what I'm talking about. You could you could, you could cover that role. I could see that. <laughs> And I remember that station from when I actually used to buy media for the uh, for a couple of clients. Yeah. So, but I didn't know it. I, you know, when I came from 
Connecticut, I knew every radio station there because I sold radio. When right. I came out here, I wasn't really much of a commercial radio listener. When I moved here, I started listening to Kink a little bit. And then, of course, satellite radio and all the other streaming services kicked in. Sure. So um, as much as I'd like to hear your voice more often, my interaction with you is on this podcast, and I'm glad. So Yeah. This is where we catch up. Yeah, exactly. Everybody gets to listen to us catch up. And Court, I've said this before, but now we're getting there. We are about to complete six full years of the podcast, and we're going into year seven. And yeah. I'm going to just mention thank you so much to Ringside and Zupans for being with us the majority of that time. Of course, the closest to this period hold on chris i don't i don't mean mean to to disrupt you i just i just did so if you could see me i was actually counting things out on on my on my fingers i i think we're wrong so the podcast started in january of 2014 correct you're right so 2014 2015 16 this we're wrapping up the seventh year going into the eighth yeah uh, you're right there's that first year is zero to one yeah so um uh yeah crazy going into the eighth we started this one literally i had to when people when i mentioned the podcast to people i had to tell them what a podcast was right and how how to listen to it now everybody and their sister has a podcast Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's pretty interesting and i will say this not that we talk about numbers too much but we've had consistent numbers one would expect what would one i don't know what to expect we've discussed it but one would expect numbers with the number of podcasts that there are out there to our numbers to be diluted right because everybody years ago we were one of the only games in town whether you liked food or not now there's a lot of podcasts and i will say thank you listeners for staying with us and and also uh, sponsors for staying with us. Uh, we've stayed consistent with all of the noise out there in the podcast world. Our numbers have stayed consistent. We haven't lost listeners. We've had times when we've gone up a little bit in a particular month and down, but the numbers are consistent. I And I would suppose that's good, right? Don't you think? Oh, yeah. No, totally. It's been a, it's been a pleasant surprise, the, the, all of this, because it's been new to both you and I. Right. And they did have that time i think it was five years ago now if you're going to say we've been here that they changed the algorithm so we were on a trajectory that was crazy and then they changed how they report podcast listening cut it in half at the time so you don't know whether the reporting mechanism was more accurate before or after but it cut it in half and then we were nervous that it was going to go down but it's steadily grown a little from there and stayed consistent yeah. so Thank you. And thank you for being consistent and being here all the time and enabling us to do this because, frankly, Court, without you, we wouldn't have this podcast. So thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate you saying that, Chris. Hey, but I know we've got a great guest lined up with us that you had a great uh, conversation via Zoom with. But before we get to that, I did want to ask you about you've got some uh, unique uh, Portland food adventure trips in the works for 2021, including including one where you're going to go on a little rafting trip. Yeah, that's the first one I think people might want to jump on because it doesn't involve any plane travel. Uh, so it's a little more of a known in eastern Oregon, starting in halfway with the folks from Canyon Outfitters. 
we're going to be going uh, down the river with the chef from Ringside Steakhouse, Jonathan Gill, enjoying some of his cooking and uh, so the usual camaraderie with Portland Food Adventurous guests along the way. That's the first night is an awesome evening on July 4th, and we go through July 8th. Uh, you can find information on that uh, at PortlandFoodAdventures.com, and we certainly have some room for some more people to sign up. The people at Canyon Outfitters have been doing this for over 40 years now, so they've got the Snake River down and hosting, and uh, everything is, is first class with them. So. I'm really looking forward to that trip, and it's the first one we've done in the USA. Um, we also have some others, you know, traveling internationally has been a little spotty lately, to say the least. But um, we just moved our Spain trip again that was supposed to happen April 2020, April 2021. We've moved that to April 2022. So by then, we believe we're going to have uh, a vaccine in place and we'll be able to travel a little more comfortably than we can now, which we can't even do. We also have trips uh, in the fall of 2021, this coming year, to um, Spain, that would be more specifically to San Sebastian and Bilbao with the folks from Erdaneta. More specifically, that is Javier Canteras, who has been a guest on the show and his beautiful, delightful, um, really awesome wife, JL. And so we have a nice group traveling with us and we have room for the trip in the fall of 2021 or the spring of 2022 on that. Definitely we have room in the spring of the fall of 2021 with my dear friend, Austriensine to Western Sicily to go to Palermo, Agrigento, Erice, some beautiful wineries, uh, go to the salt mines there and, uh, it's going to be a fun trip. She, I, she previewed it for me, and I can't wait to do it. We had to move that one out a year as well. So we lost a few people, which is your opportunity, someone's opportunity, to get in with that group. And Austria's trips to Italy are fantastic. I believe this will be the fourth one we've done with her. So we'd love to have you join us. That, again, also is Weir Court. Where can one find it? PortlandFoodAdventures.com. Right. I just like hearing you say it yeah. rather than me. So anyway, let's get into our guest today, Carrie Gismagian, who um, I met years ago, and we're going to talk about it in the podcast, before either of us had even touched the food business, maybe even before we knew there was a food scene in Portland. Um, I was actually trying, I went to my local Best Buy and the manager there was very friendly and we got to chatting and there was a new, I think it was a Blackberry Storm at the time coming in. And of course, I wanted first dibs on it. So I bribed her with tickets to the Black Crows, which were at the time readily available to me since my brother was associated with the band. And uh, she got me the first Blackberry Storm available in at least that store uh, then. And we became friendly. And then one day I'm at Feast and there she is in a Feast volunteer uh, uh, with a Feast volunteer badge. And we started talking and I didn't know back then we would we would have had no reason to talk about food but uh, I didn't know she was into the whole food scene, loved it, grew up on a, uh, you know, around 
uh, parents and grandparents who had farms in Illinois, which we'll talk about again in the podcast. And uh, she's made her way from volunteering at Feast to working for the folks at the at Toro Bravo and running the help run the La Ruta Festival um, and being you know the right right hand person to Renee and John when they were in operation in Portland. Uh, then moved on to the Nightwood Society, which is uh, a great organization, um, very supportive of women in town. And now, um, after the pandemic started, she finds herself at Carmen Ranch, also in Eastern Oregon. We mentioned Eastern Oregon earlier, um, out um, in the Wallawa, Wallawa County. And so uh, she is, she'll talk about it. She's outreach coordinator with them, which is to make sure that uh, restaurants are taken care of. And in this day and age where um, they had to pivot a little bit, she's uh, learning a lot about direct-to-consumer and how that works for Carmen Ranch, which many know as the premier grass-fed beef supplier in, uh, in the state, or at least one of them. I don't know of a lot of them, but uh, I know they supply a lot of restaurants in town. So um, Carrie was a lot of fun to talk to. Um, and kept the conversation going. As you'll note, the podcast goes over an hour, and that only happens when um, the conversation is lively. Correct, Court? We don't keep it going that long if it's not if it's not happening. No, no. Well, why? Why would we? <laughs> yeah, why? Why would I? I've right. had you know in eight, seven years of doing this podcast, we can only probably look back on two or three that. We're a little slow. Sure. So I think that's pretty good. Yeah, um, totally. It's a great track record. Most of them have been pleasant surprises. So listen, this uh, this podcast with Carrie is worth listening to. And thank you if you've gotten to this point, uh, still listening with us. You'll find it worthwhile to have made that investment. And then next week, you're going to want to tune in because we're hooking back up with Gary the Foodie to talk about burgers all over the world and some of uh, his pastry experiences in Portland and whatever else is going to happen. We haven't had that conversation yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Nice. But for now, here's Carrie Gismagian. Right at the Fork is supported by Zupan's Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupan's Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, or Zupans.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England-style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality, Rock Paper Fish, a partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon Micah Camden in the old Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. And by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever, Book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host Chris Angeles. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Canteras of Urdaneta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austria Enzyme. Whet your appetite and get more information at PortlandFoodAdventures.com or contact Red at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more details. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's fun. Do you still have some energy? Yeah. From the day? Yes. 
All right, so let's, as long as you mentioned it was a tough day, what was your day? Oh, it's just all emailing. It's just all just straight emailing and coordinating, trying to make plans, trying to create these spot, like these partnerships. And um, it's, it's a new, it's a new initiative. And so it's just, it's a lot of trying to figure out the process and kind of building the, the airplane as it's flying, you know, so to speak. So it's, well, is um, it up in the air? Does it feel like it's up in the air for you? I mean, it's, it's getting there. feels like everything's just kind of safety wired together. <laughs> like we're uh -huh. trying to put the welds in place. Um, so it's, it's just, it's, it's a lot of, um, kind of, it's not necessarily wheel spinning. It's just a lot of learning and making mistakes and learning from those and kind of figuring out what works and what isn't working. And um, we have a small team, but everybody's got input. And so it's also kind of mitigating, not necessarily mitigating that, but it's taking it into consideration, but also not getting caught up in the minutia of it and kind of keeping that long goal in mind. And so Right. So, well, I would think that you tend to sitting, you know, working out of uh, at a computer all day, answering emails, it's easy to get tied up with minutia. But before we go into that, I just want to, so tell, tell me a little bit about exactly what your responsibility is with Carmen Ranch, what you're doing, how long you've been doing that. And then, and then we'll go backwards a little bit about how you got there. Yeah. Um, so I'm currently the outreach coordinator for Carmen Ranch, which means that uh, we're he I'm heading up their direct to consumer program. And it's also a lot of relationship management. So um, due to the pandemic, the primary uh, revenue source for the company was wholesale. So selling to restaurants. Um, and, you know, we recently brought on a distributor. Corfini Gourmet, who um, we work very closely with Joby and absolutely love him. Um, but that fell off fairly quickly. Um, our wholesale business, not our relationship with Corfini, of course. And um, and we, we saw a huge uptick in direct consumer. And so we've had to pivot very quickly from this wholesale mindset to e-commerce, um, which for a small business, and I'm sure that a lot of businesses, not just in this industry, but across a lot of industries are having to do and kind of learning uh, as we go. So it's creating brand awareness and creating awareness, just educating consumers about grass-fed beef and why it's better and more nutritious and um, environmentally responsible. Is, and, it, is, that a, is that a tough sell? I would imagine nowadays even if someone doesn't understand the specific benefits, it's not hard to make the leap, but it just sounds better, right? Grass-fed beef. It just, it sounds like you're not working from behind, from behind to explain that to people. Or, or am I wrong? I could be, I've, I've been wrong once or twice in my life. So. You would, you would think so. And um, I think being kind of in this food service industry type job it's it's difficult to be objective and really step back but grass-fed beef uh for whatever reason just has not caught on i think that um a lot of it has to do with accessibility 
you don't see it everywhere in grocery stores. You'll see it at new seasons and whole foods, but you don't see it retail at like Freddy's or something like that. So, um, I think it's that, and there's a lot of mislabeling for that too. So what, just because something's grass fed doesn't necessarily mean it's grass finished. So I think there's just general mistrust and labeling with the public as well. And so it's something, it, it is a little bit of a challenge. You would think that it's something that would sell itself, but uh, there's a big, big education piece. And, and most of it is just that people will associate it with sustainability um, or, or um, it being more humane, um, you know, but they don't necessarily associate it with flavor and it just flat out tastes better. It tastes like beef. It doesn't, it's not kind of like this mystery thing that you're putting in your mouth and you're eating because you're supposed to, it actually does taste like beef. And so, um, not many people have necessarily dabbled or had that experience. I don't think. Mm -hmm. So that's the big challenge. What's the, um, do you, I'm sure you have a, a, a read on market share. I mean, and where it's been, where it was five years ago and where it is today and where you expect it to go. The market share has increased uh, quite a bit. And specifically, honestly, like oddly enough, it's because of the pandemic, because now people are becoming more conscientious. When I think especially our market is Portland um, primarily. Six hours away from Carmen Ranch. Right. So right. Right. It's not right around the corner, but it's a, it, it is in the one of the most beautiful spots in the country. The Wallawas are just incredible and it wasn't until I lived here for a few years that I discovered it and you know being not so close to where I live I've been out there quite a bit it's it's gorgeous out there and their their property is fantastic and um, yeah so um, it's interesting that the primary market is Portland but that's the largest city I would imagine Seattle gets a, gets a little play too yeah Seattle does um yeah, the Wallawa is, Wallawa County is 5,000 people. So while- when I was out there, they had zero COVID cases when July, zero. Yeah, that's changed a little bit. I uh, imagine. But, uh, but, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's everywhere. And it is, you know, when you live in a smaller town, I think that people do take, it's not necessarily as, um, you don't necessarily see it as often, you know, when people who live or, who live in smaller towns don't even know anybody who's necessarily had COVID. So it's hard right. to, um, I think, quantify uh, for, for them. But yeah, I, I, I uh, with Portland, it's, it's a larger market, of course, like, but that's where we were based in wholesale anyway. That's where the bulk of our restaurants are. But um, I found that a lot of people out here are specifically are, are voting with their dollars. They're wanting to support local, their local economy, their local restaurants or local businesses. Um, and especially with between Black Lives Matter and Me Too movement, when you're talking about like it, it's important when it's women, you know, when it's woman owned. Um, I think that pe people take that into consideration when they're when they're purchasing, like where is this coming from and who owns it and who's benefiting. Um, but yeah, I think that with we have seen an uptick with with grass fed with um, because people are wanting to shop local. They're wanting to since they're cooking more at home, they're wanting to eat things that are more nutritious and flavorful, similar to what they're getting in restaurants. And also I think people are just becoming more health conscious and like cognizant of kind of what's out there 
and doing their best to take care of themselves. And so grass-fed beef is a natural way to do that. And it's um, a low barrier to entry. I mean, you think about ground beef, it's, I mean, everybody cooks with ground beef. I mean, most, most people do anyway. So mm-hmm. um, it's a low barrier to entry. And that's definitely like the product that we have that that's kind of our flagship product. Everybody tries it because that's what people are familiar with. And then they'll start experimenting into more like interesting and, and flavorful, like steaks and cuts. But mm-hmm. um, even the most basic, like, you know, non home cook cook can do something with ground beef. Yeah. Well, beef, I think that's something we're all, if you cook at home, you're, you can do things with ground beef and certainly with beef too, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. But it's not necessarily like the upfront cost of a $30 dry aged, you know, bone in 16 ounce ribeye um, or New York strip. It's, you know, it's something that, you know, if you muck it up, then, uh, you know, whatever, it's fine. (laughs) Moving on. I don't say that with a burger, you know, you know, I'm just kidding. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, so, you know, it's interesting when you mention that because you, it seems like you have gravitated towards women owned businesses. Your last gig was at the Nightwood Society. Is it called Society? Is it always called Society or do I put that? Did I put yeah, that moniker out there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was at the Nightwood, which was the consummate woman owned business in Portland, Oregon. Um, and so is there a reason that you're, I mean, I can guess the reasons, but interesting that you, the, your last two positions have, have been women-owned businesses. Um, it kind of, it, it, it wasn't necessarily intentional, but after, when I initially started there, but after I was there, um, it was such an incredible experience that it's definitely, when I was considering um, the Carmen Ranch position, it was definitely something I took into consideration is like, what are, where are there, you know, where's the, what are, what are their values? What's, what's Corey's values? What is she doing? How is the company interacting with the community? Um, all of that, I, I strongly took into consideration before, before I um, accepted the position. Uh, so but how, yeah, it was how long have you been in the food world now? So the food world, uh, since 2016 was my first, that's when I came on with, um, with Toro Bravo Inc. Mm-hmm. As their, as, um, their executive coordinator. And, um, I learned a ton there. Also women, women owned, I, mm-hmm. I should note. Partially woman owned. Partially. Yep. Right. So, <laughs> it counts. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, so I started there in 2016 um, and learned a ton, had a lot of opportunity there and was able to see like how a major restaurant corporation, like how it works. Um, and it was fascinating to see all of the moving parts and um, the decision making process that John had uh, was was really inspiring. Um and the way that he navigated that and followed his gut, it was really, it was inspiring. Um, and, and I learned a ton there. Um, and so then John, of course, was diagnosed with cancer uh, and which luckily like he pulled through and um, is in remission to my understanding. Um, uh, but my position, you know, my position w- with that company was a lot of, um, taking on new projects and, and being delegated um, 
things to research, um, communication between John and, and, and a variety of different people and companies. And so, um, since we weren't taking on any more projects, in fact, we were paring back our existing projects. My, my position was essentially eliminated. Like it just, they just didn't need it as John was choosing to like dial in and, and focus on his health. And so, um, I reached out to Camus Davis, who is Portland Meat Collective, um, who's a friend of mine. And I said, hey, do you need some help with Portland Meat Collective stuff? Because I've got like, I've dabbled in, in butchery before and I'm just looking to keep busy. Um, and she's like, yeah, sure. And um, and then she said, you know, are you familiar? You know, she told, she told me when the Nightwood Society was kind of in its infancy and when it was really like kind of a glimmer in everyone's eyes, um, she was telling me about this project and I was like, Oh my gosh, tell me how I can help. I want to be a part of this, that it's, that it's woman owned. They want to change the industry for the better. Um, they want to support other women owned organizations and kind of do things the right way. I was like, yeah, I want to, I went in on this. I want on board with this. I saw who was involved and I was like, yes. And she, so, um, so she referred me to Michelle Batista, uh, and said, Hey, you know, I've got somebody who I think would really be able to help you. And Leah, um, Leah Scaife also was, was heading up a number of events and it was very, it was a very, very scrappy small crew and they needed help. And so I reached out to Michelle Batista, um, via Camus Davis and we sat down and we chatted and we talked, we are all of our views, values, everything just kind of aligned right there. And we're like, all right, let's make it happen. Let's do it. Um, and so that, that position, so I became, um, director of community there. Uh, and that was a blast. It was a lot of like relationship management, um, uncovering opportunities. How, like, who are these people? Like, where are these nonprofits? Well, who can we get involved with? Like, how can we support each other? Right. So, um, so in, in doing that, I was able to work with a group of women who were incredibly bright and opinionated, but also who have families and, and, you know, um, and you know this, but my, you know, my son is 13 now, but is on the autism spectrum. So there are certainly like challenges that come along with having a special needs child. And um, they were just so unbelievably understanding and accommodating and lovely and wonderful. And um, it was really great to be a part of something like that. So, uh, a company or a business that not only touts um their values, like not only like has great values that they put out into the world, but they live those every day. And, um, so that was definitely like a, a huge takeaway for me, um, is, is being able to not just tell, talk about your values, but be able to live them, um, across the board in all of your interactions with people, whether it's your customers, your clients, um, or your, your employees, uh, it was, it was great. And well, that's a big boon for you, too, because, um, yeah, I raised a child on the spectrum as well. And I've been was self-employed the entire almost the entire run, at least when I was doing it by myself. And I don't know how I would have done it had I had a nine to five job or a, or a eight to six job or something, I, because things come up that you have to deal with. And you have to advocate. If you don't advocate, things don't get done. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's fantastic to be able to find uh, someone who's 
you know, an organization who's empathetic and will let you do what you need to do. Um, and I think that's, you know, pretty common in Portland, I would imagine. Um, but it looks like you found, um, you know, the consummate organization to do that. Is that the third time I've used the word consummate tonight? Uh, yeah, I think so. That's okay. Oh, I like it. I think it's let me mark that down. I'll, 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 try, I'll try to avoid it a fourth time. But, you know, the reason I, I asked that is because you've been in the food business for just four years. It's not a long time. No, it's not. And, you know, um, I asked you if it would be cool to uh, mention how we met, which I think is quite amusing if you go back. Um, I met you when I was... Um, <laughs> Well, how long ago was it? 12 years ago, maybe? Yeah, I think it's Something years, in that yeah. neighborhood. 12, 13 years ago, when I was trying to get a, a line on the an early arrival for some phone. I don't remember what it was. Blackberry Storm, it might have been, yeah. just to latch on to something I might have had. Yep. And you were working at Best Buy at the, was it the Tualatin location? It was. And I met you there, and you were very kind to me, and I, I think I... I even bribed you with some Black Crows tickets that I was able to get through my brother, through that contact. Yeah. Um, and then so we got to know each other and I, you know, I spent too much time at Best Buy, so <laughs> saw you quite often. And, uh, and then one day I was at Feast. I don't remember which year, you probably do. And there you were in your volunteer, with your volunteer badge and you were working there. So at the time, the reason I'm asking this, when you were at, how, how far back did you decide that you wanted to get into the food business and away from electronics? Because I, as I understand it, after a while, you didn't really enjoy that too much. No, no, it was terrible. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I worked, I worked retail in college. Um, and where did you go to school? And where did yeah, you go? Yeah, I up? went to school. Um, I grew up in Springfield, Illinois which is mm -hmm. uh, the home of Abraham Lincoln. So if you ever, and the Cubs, yeah, yeah, if you ever have any Lincoln trivia questions that you need answered, you just let me know because all the field trips, my entire life were going to all the Lincoln attractions, but um, grew up in Springfield, Illinois, and then went to school uh, for forestry at Southern Illinois university. Um, and then in 2007, I was still down there and just kind of working retail, trying to figure out what the next move was. And I, and I was pregnant. Um, and um, we wound up moving out here. Um, my son's father got a job uh, with um, a company and they paid our moving expenses. And I had never been to Portland or anything like that. It was just like, I'm pregnant and we will never get out of here if we don't leave right now. Like, <laughs> and we can always move home. So, um, so we, I moved to Portland sight unseen six months pregnant and I um, wasn't really sure what I was going to do. So after EJ was, I think was three months and I decided like, I'll get back into the, into the workforce for holiday, whatever. And I, my experience was in retail. So I went and then I wound up, you know, three months later, I was, or three months later, I think I was offered a manager position. And so I was like, all right, well, this is pretty good money and I need to get out of the house. And, um, so then I, then I was just there, like in this retail cycle, working retail 
I mean, not just for Best Buy, also like managed AT&T stores. And that was for, oh, uh, um, it was for eight years, I think, uh, which was really tough. Again, like special needs child, you know, I was filing FMLA all the time. I was shuttling him back and forth. Like I would leave from work, go pick him up from school, go to therapy for three hours, drop him back off at home, go back to work. I mean, it would be, wind up being like a 17 hour day. It was insane. Um, but it wound up leaving that, but I mean, essentially to answer your, to answer your question, um, I decided in 2007, I saw, I think it was 2007 or early 2008, Naomi Pomeroy was on the cover of Portland monthly holding a pig and holding a, a, Oh, that's a famous, that's a famous image. Yes. And it, it just struck me to my core. I was, I, I needed to know more. I needed to know more about what this was, what it was about. Um, and you know, and most of my family was from an agricultural back, like my mom's side of the family is we're all farmers. So it just kind of like struck this strange archetypal like chord with me. And so I wanted to dig in deeper. So I started reading about her and her journey and beast. And, and then I started digging into the other restaurants in the area, following chefs, reading menus recreationally. Like I just became completely enamored. I mean, growing up in a Midwestern town surrounded by chain restaurants, you know, the red lobster was a big deal to go to. That was like the fancy place. It still is the Cheddar Bay Biscuits. You can't miss those. No. (laughs) The Cadillac Margarita, you know, it's, there's a place for it. (laughs) I I believe there is. I'm joking, but I'm also, (laughs) there's a place for that. Yeah, totally. Like I still have, I still love like kind of high, low food. I mean, I mean, there's a place. Nice balance. Yes. Yes. But you know, fried bologna sandwich, sign me up. I'm down. Like, but, um, I think we've, uh, so coming out here and like seeing this lack of chain restaurants and what these, what these chefs and everyone was doing, I just needed, I couldn't get enough of it. I wanted to know more. And like, I really became passionate about it. It just awoken something in me. And so then I started volunteering. Feast was coming to town. You know, I was subscribed to Bon Appetit magazine and I was like, what the shit is this? We have Bon Appetit is coming to Portland. And they're doing a food festival, mind blown. And so I was like, I have to be a part of this. I can't afford the tickets. So <laughs> I need to get in there somehow. Do you, do you recall what you're, when you said you were recreationally studying menus, which I find hilarious. I've never heard that term, but it's great. Hey, Chris, let's pause just a moment here in the podcast. Talk about one of our favorite places to eat ringside steakhouse where right now of course they had set up a wonderful outdoor dining situation and now we can't dine indoors or outdoors but what you can do uh, is enjoy takeout from ringside so if you're in the mood for a hearty steak or even prime rib they have three course steak dinners to go five nights a week starting at only 38 dollars per person and, uh, you know, for ringside steaks, that's fantastic. So go to their website and see what that's all about. You can uh, uh, order to go uh, and you can find them on DoorDash and Caviar or directly there. Call for pickup uh, starting at 3.30 and pick it up until 7.30. Start it, um, at 503-223-1513. That's 503-223-1513 at ringside for a great pick up 
uh, opportunity for to eat wonderfully tonight or tomorrow night or the next night. Starting on Wednesday, they're open Wednesday through Sunday. That's right. The, the, those are the five days a week. And we should also point out that, uh, you know, you're talking about the things you can get on a regular day. They also have some really great holiday meal kits. So whether it be for Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah down the road, why not let Ringside Steakhouse be part of your holiday celebrations just in your own house instead of theirs? That's, that's great. The ser- well, we'll hope the service can be anywhere near as good as it is at Ringside at Home, but I don't think so. But that's okay. It's only, they started only $38. Yeah. That's good. Yep. Also, one other thing you can do is, uh, of course, great holiday gift idea, uh, Ringside gift cards. Those you can buy and those serve a few purposes. They're a great idea to give someone um, who will not be able to wait to go out to dinner after this is all said and done right. and also help support ringside who, um, you know, they've been going this through this for eight months. It can't have been easy. And, uh, it, uh, it's something you can do to support restaurants do that anywhere. But, um, thank you again for ringside for supporting this podcast for years now. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So if you want to find out all about the uh, to go food, uh, head on over to ringside steakhouse.com. Do you remember your your first meal that you had where you thought, oh, you know, your first Jeffy meal uh, in Portland where you were where you were astounded? I do actually. Oddly enough, this is really funny. It was actually Toro Bravo. Mm. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, two thousand eight. Springsteen came to town. Went to go see Springsteen in the E Street Band, and before the show, went to Toro Bravo for dinner. And I felt so fancy. And that's when John was cooking. You know, I, I looked. He was, I was there. Yeah. I'm sitting at the bar. He's in the kitchen. You know, I could see his arms. I could see the flame tattoos on his arms. And, you know, and I was just got like all like, you know, I kind of fangirled out. And I was like, oh, look, he's right back. He's right there. Oh, my goodness. And um, did you start with the bacon wrapped figs? Uh, yes. Okay, good. I did. I did. Yeah, so that so that was just a really incredible experience, my first small plate experience. And then I think my, my next meal was at Laurelhurst Market. Um, you know, I'm still friends with it's so funny. Like I'm friends with Benny. You know, it's funny that like I was where I was at that time and now I'm friends with all of these people and it's and not intentionally, it's just the way that it evolved. But um but yeah, it, so that was uh that was kind of it, you know, and St. Jack was, I mean, I loved uh, like looking through their menus and of course I like combed over beast menu and finally got in there one day. And like, it just was, it was divine. Um, and that's so, a different experience from one you would ever have in Springfield, Illinois. <laughs> yeah. And one that you won't have again either, as a matter of fact. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Let's let's not completely, you know, everybody's pivoting right now. We'll we'll see what happens. Well, yeah, but you won't have it in that building, I don't think. But at either it's sad, but that's a conversation for another time, I suppose. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So, so yeah. um so I volunteered they, and, and and I wound up meeting tons of people. It was a huge networking opportunity and I and it's essentially like, and also with all of the food and the after parties and, and mingling and talking, it was my Super Bowl, Christmas, 
whatever, like everything wrapped into one. I looked forward to that week and I still do. I mean, with the exception of this year, like, I mean, I look forward to it every single year. So I think we all do. It's a, it's a, it's an incredible experience and party. And I hope I, I like that they change it up a little bit every year because you never want it to get old. Yes. Yes. So yeah, I volunteered. So I, you know, I just turned on the switch and I was like, all right, how am I going to do this? How, how can I make this work? I didn't want to, I didn't, you know, I have a young son who's special needs. So, so working the only, the only business that's worse than retail in regard to work hours <laughs> is the food service industry. Right. So um, I was like, I, I can't, I, I can't manage a restaurant. Like, that's not a thing I want to do. I'm not a server. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get into this, but I'm going to figure it out. Like something mm-hmm. will come up and, so after years of volunteering at Feast, IPNC, Wild About Game, going to pop-ups, networking. Like, I mean, it was funny. I keep all my menus um, because I'm that nerdy. And, um, you know, going through some of these older menus, it's so funny. Like, you know, it's like Stray Dogs pop-up, you know, with Johnny Leach. And, and it's like that kind of stuff that's really fun to, to go back and look on. But, I mean, just being there, seeing people, people like, and you know, after a while you go to the same spots, you do the same things. Like you start seeing the same people all the time and you just wind mm-hmm. up kind of chatting and talking. And, mm-hmm. um, which is how I met uh, Jeff Latham and Mark Cockroft uh, at Nikki. And we just kind of, we, we were at a tsunami event, which I don't know if you remember that, but it was like a battle of the sous chefs that was hosted at St. Jack. Um, years oh, I ago. remember that one. Yeah. And so I just, I was just chatting, you know, I happened to be standing next to Jeff and, and we just kind of hit it off and started talking and then we would see each other at all these events. And so it was like, Oh, well now I have friends and, and, and it, you know, it, it works like that. And that's what I love about the Portland community is that everybody's super friendly. And if you care and if you're passionate about it, like you immediately have friends, you know, that, that share that passion. You have that, you have that rapport instantly. Yeah, and there's a network of people that are at all the events you've mentioned. So you can, as a single person, and I've certainly been there in my life, you can show up and know you're always going to know people. So you're not going to be, you know, not in a position to have to retreat with your cell phone to uh, to feel <laughs> comfortable. You're always going to know people. And, you know, you mentioned Jeff Latham and Mark. You always see them at every event. And that's part of what makes this pandemic so shitty is I miss those people. I miss being able to just hang out and say hello at at these events. So I'm sure sure you do, too. I do. And I feel like my heart goes out to the chefs because I feel like, you know, you work those crazy long hours and those work weeks. And then, so you, I think you, as a chef, you rely on those people coming in, like your friends coming in and sitting at the counter or sitting at the bar, being able to come over, say hi to a variety of people, send something out, you know, as, as a, you know, good faith, as a, you know, a token of appreciation that they're there. And, you know, when chefs don't have that anymore, like, I just, I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it must be tough. Like, I mean, sp- I mean, for a variety of reasons, but I mean, oh, that yeah. it was just always such a social encounter going out to dinner, whether it was by myself or somebody else. But, um, but yeah, yeah I, w- I wonder what percentage, I don't know if you know, having uh, been at, at, at Toro Bravo group for a while, what percentage of 
revenue is derived from the, that it's kind of incestuous from the industry in Portland. How much of it is industry people and how much are actual consumers that aren't in the industry? Never really, I'm sure someone has a read. I'm sure each restaurant has a general read on that, but probably nothing specific. Yeah, I mean, you have like, you know, there, there would be a list sent out at the end of the night, like anything that was gifted or comped or whatever. I mean, there'd be, you know, and there'd be a list of like who and why um, for the for the Tor Bravo Inc. Um, for John's restaurants. Um, and it was fun to like to see and be like, oh, so-and-so is there or Lady Gaga was there or, you know, Amy Schumer is there or, you know, whatever. But, um, but yeah, that would be really difficult. That would be a difficult thing to track, but it was always fun to see who had come through. And there was always, you know, three or four people minimum a night, you know, that were just stopping in to say hello or old friends, you know, and, and again, like uh, this port or like our, our Portland, like food community, um, you know, that we are all voting with our dollars. And I think that this is, that's, people are deliberately like choosing where they're dining out and where they're getting carry out because they're that way, because they're supporting their friends, you know, in that sense. Mm -hmm. Also, it happens to be delicious, but. Right, well that too, but now, yeah, now it's a little different because then it was always, you know, before pandemic, we're in this Disneyland of food. Do I want to go? And and it was a little. There was a little more. Uh, I think compared to now, a little more selfishness involved. What do I want now? We we have to support the restaurants that we love to hope to keep them around. So there's a little more mindset of I want to go here, whether you felt like that food or not at that particular evening. I don't know. So how do you think we're, how do you think the community spirit is going to survive coming out of this? I think that it's, I think it's going to be stronger than ever, to be honest. Like I'm a member of the, of Pira of the Portland, like the independent restaurant Alliance and seeing that feed and being a part of that Slack channel um, and seeing what people like um, uh, Katie and and Naomi and and uh, Katie Connors like it's just seeing is Erica Polmar like seeing what these folks are doing and how they're rallying and how to this I mean even through that channel even though we can't necessarily see each other in person seeing how these restaurants are supporting each other and pivoting in this way it's really inspiring. Um, in regard to like sharing information, sharing information about grants and applications and best practices and, and how to set up and who can, or who's providing plexiglass, you know, it's like all of those little things. Um, I, I think, I think our Portland community is going to be stronger and scrappier. And um, I think that everybody's had to get really creative with this. And frankly, if, if those that are able to pull through this, I mean, they're they're going to be stronger because of it. Yeah, and it wasn't easy before this. And you know, you mentioned Erica Palmer. We exchanged a couple of emails yesterday. Yeah. That woman has been such an advocate. I mean, right? You know, from Salem to Washington, has really and and helped uh, the industry beyond Portland too. Um, so I'm hoping. Right now, I don't know how to support Erica, but when we come out of this, that everybody 
signs up in a big way for plate and pitchfork dinners because they're not <laughs> only some of the best things you can do, but Erica needs, you know, needs a gigantic, deserves a gigantic thank you from a lot of people for what she's done. And I, I said to her yesterday, I could never be the advocate that you have been, but I'll do what I can in my way, but it's nothing compared to what Erica, the time and effort that Erica has put in. And um, I know a lot of people appreciate what she's done. Well, yeah. And Katie Connors, like she's in both of them. Like, I mean, I know that Katie's too, yeah, like Katie she, was just on the podcast. Oh, great. Yeah. See, yeah. So she, like, she's working full time. You know what I mean? Everybody's working. Like this is their side gig is Pira. And the fact that they're able to dedicate themselves and put such a huge amount of time and effort towards it. I mean, it's really, it's really incredible and, and renews my faith. I mean, not that I ever lost faith in the Portland restaurant community, but whoa, like it's, I, I hope that other cities in this country have women like them to help support and organize because it's just, it's, it's really incredible. And I hope that they eat free in town for the rest of their lives. <laughs> they should be comped forever. Yeah, <laughs> as as I, I think so too. Um, uh, I, as I said, it's, it's marvelous what they've done and some progress has been made. And today, what is today's the third is the day that everything's sort of, I, I couldn't really follow it sort of opening up again. I don't know for at least a little while. Yes, outdoor seating and the outdoor seating is really specific and it can't be walled tents. It can't have three walls. It can only have one wall. It's a whole thing. I mean, and again, like, you know, Katie, Erica, like Naomi's doing national lobbying. I mean, it's the way that they're disseminating information and asking for clarity and reaching out to our politicians. It's, it's, they're communicating all of it. I mean, it's a massive resource that everybody's utilizing. So, um, but yeah, who knows? I, I, it's, I think it's outdoor seating. I think that that's good to go. I mean, hopefully we'll get cocktails up and running. I think that's going to be a heavier lift, but. Yeah. Hope so too. Hope everybody survives. So how, so you've been building the, um, the uh, retail to direct to consumer business. How is, how has it been, you know, on the wholesale side for you? You said it's, definitely weaker. We know that, but, um, you know, I think that's probably one of the reasons you entered into this position is because you enjoyed your relationships with chefs and restaurants so much. Yeah, I do. And, you know, I was with the Nightwood, I was in events. So I was doing, uh, essentially I was handling all the events that were non not corporate basically. And, that was good. That was super stressful. It was really stressful. Like when I've got brides and birthday parties and stuff like that in, in April and they're like, okay, let's postpone until October. Let's post, you know, <laughs> and nobody knows oh, yeah. anything. And so the, everybody's, you know, everybody's coming. Like I have clients that are coming to me asking me for affirmation and I can't, really do that. I, I could do it to the best of my ability, but I, it was, it was, it was really stressful. And, and to tell people, no, I mean, this is how your wedding is going to go. Everybody's going to wear a mask and people are going to have to stay six feet apart. And the state of Oregon mandates that we have a social distancing monitor. Oh yeah. Sure. That everybody is keeping their distance. You know, it, it just, 
it just wasn't fun any anymore. Um, well, it was, it was stressful before all of those things. I would imagine it's not. I can't imagine it's easy handling someone's wedding because they're not very relaxed about it. Well, I mean, we we had a certain kind of clientele. I mean, I would never. I don't think I ever had like a bridezilla, so to speak. I mean, we we attracted a certain uh, kind of couple, um, but. Yeah, it was just so it was it was it was stressful in a good way. It's a stressful in an event planning kind of way, mm-hmm. um, which is fun. And like you're also celebrating with people like one of the most memorable day, memorable days of their entire life. Like that is really exciting to be able to put together and provide for somebody um, so they don't have to worry about it. They can remember everything because and they don't have to worry about anything because you're taking off their plate. Right. So well, that's that was, what makes it stressful is that you have to worry about everything that they don't have to worry about. Right. Yeah. And I think just ultimately, like my goal for them was that they could just attend their own party, right. uh, you know, but, but it, it just, it, it just was not the case. Like it, it, it really kind of became, it was a lot of, it was a lot of difficult conversations to have. And, you know, I just had my dad, I'm like, I, I don't know where these events are going to go. I was cut down to part-time just because I mean, for obvious reasons, um, and I thought, you know, in, in this opportunity came, I, you know, kind of ran across this opportunity and I thought, you know, I'm, this is kind of the direction that things are going is e-commerce. Here's a brand and here's a company that I, I love what they're doing. It's woman owned. They've got great integrity and I love their value set and I can help them. And so essentially I, I was doing the same thing for the Nightwood but now it's with cattle and not couples. <laughs> um, so it's, so, it, it, so yeah. And this is a burgeoning, this is a growing, um, it's, it's a growing industry. It's just. Um, well, so, I would imagine if you build the direct to consumer arm of it, and then you come out of the coronavirus, get your wholesale business back in order. Yes the Carmen ranch is going to be that much stronger coming out of it. I would imagine as would so many other businesses that are going to have a takeout arm that they didn't have before. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And I think that people's buying habits are going to change. I I don't think that this is, I think ordering online and picking up groceries or getting food delivered, that is not going to be something that changes. I don't think that people are going to pivot back to just solely relying on going to the grocery store. I think that these, these changes are, are going to be permanent, long lasting at the very least. So um, it's just a matter of, of letting people know that we're out there and we're, we're doing the right thing. And this impossible meat business is so silly. They're doing a phenomenal job marketing, (laughs) Um, but that, you know, we're able to provide a certain service and people are able to eat this with a clear conscience and not just that like grass fed beef is, um, it's delicious, but it's also, honestly, it's helping the environment versus, um, versus all of these things that, you know, that, you know, beef and uh, really just animals and livestock in general can get a bad name. Um, and, we're just, and that's kind of what we're having to do is like course correct and educate, which is, um, it can be a heavy lift when people's attention spans now are all of like maybe five seconds. 
Well, I think they they were always, but at least I think now you know you can get them. They're they're staying put a little bit more than moving around. I don't know, but that um, still you've got to communicate with them, and people's attention spans are yes, they're, they're getting uh, it's getting tougher and tougher for people not to be AD and D ADD. I'm sorry, AD and D. You said AT&T before, so I, <laughs> somehow it stuck with me. Um, so what do, you, uh, what, do you, what do you like most about what you're doing now? Um, and is this where you wanted to be four years ago when you thought you were going to get into the food business? I do think it's fascinating that you can't work a traditional job, so you found some really cool avenues to explore and different ways to do that. We didn't talk when you about when you were at uh, Toro Bravo. You helped them with their with their Spanish event. Um, remind me that because I'm always yeah. thinking Plaza del Toro. Uh, yeah, no, it's yeah La Ruta PDX. La Ruta. Uh, well, yeah, and I think that was really fun. Like that was something that um, you know after volunteering for Feast for five years and being having the opportunity. You know, John in January was like. Hey, I want to, we should, we're going to do a food festival. Let's do a food festival. And, you know, we're going to do it in July. And we're like, cool. <laughs> July, months. like 2017 or July, 2018. And he's like, no, 27. No, we're doing it this year. And we're going to bring in this chef. You know, we're going to bring in these chefs from Spain and it's going to be four days and it's going to be this, this, you know, he has this idea. And that was, I mean, that was part of my job is like kind of John would get an idea and he'd be like, Carrie, take care of this. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so that's kind of what it evolved into is like, I was taking, you know, so, so we're kind of tossing around this idea and he start, you know, I start getting delegated things. And then um, I, it turns out all of a sudden I'm managing all of our domestic sponsors, chefs, menu items, venues, locations, permitting, staffing, volunteering, what like all of this run out like timelines, what all of this looks like. And um, it really was just a dream come true that I did not see coming. And I don't even think, honestly, I think John barely saw it coming, but um, he had this idea. And because of my experience with Feast and Mike Thielen, Emily Crowley, I mean, they're, they do a bang up job. They do such a phenomenal job. And also like being there and seeing that grow over the years as I was volunteering, um, it, I mean, I was able to, to, to lean on that and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't and not doing and, and, and incorporating all of that, all of those lessons into the first year of a food festival um, that was four days long, that we had a Michelin starred chef. I think we flew in four or five chefs from Spain. Um, we were in locations all over the city, plus seated ticketed dinners, plus Cedra tastings and wine tastings, plus these major, like these we had a major event every day. And so um, aside from the seated, the, the, the dinners and everything else. So it was, it was wild, but it was, it genuinely was a dream come true. I never thought that I would have the opportunity to be involved and be paid to do, <laughs> to offer, to, to put together a food festival on that level. That um, I'll be forever thankful for that. And I, you know, and I hope the opportunity arises again that I could, that I can do something like that because it is. I'm so, you're, you're young. It's going to come up, but I'm thoroughly impressed with the fact that you were able to do all of those things 
having just ob observed and participated at in Feast from a volunteer standpoint. I mean, you were, as a volunteer, you're not in on all the strategy meetings and you're not in on, you know, there to see exactly how sponsors are handled and how you deal with those. So I'm, I'm impressed that you were able to handle all of that in a really short period of time. And I'm sure you had some resources, people you could call on and say, listen, how do I do this? Um, that's what one of the things that Portland is great at. But still, to put that together in six months, and it went, as I recall, it went very smoothly. I don't remember any any big, I'm sure behind the scenes there were some freakouts, but um, <laughs> but just observing, I thought it went really well. Yeah, you know, thank you for saying that. We we had so much good feedback. And it's funny, actually, one of, uh, one of our kind of like uh, our, our seasonal employees at uh, the Nightwood, you know, we were chatting, she was working a wedding I was, I was at, and, you know, we were, we were kind of talking and I, I had mentioned LaRuta in that um, I helped put that together. And she was like, oh my gosh, I love that. I volunteered for that. And I was like, what's it really? You know, so we chatted, she was like, is it, why won't it ever happen again? Can it happen again? Like I, I, that was such a great experience. I mean, so just hearing that from somebody who had no idea I was involved in it to, um, just general feedback, even from, from Mike Thielen, like from Emily, from, I mean, just from um, Hannah, like I, just hearing this amazing feedback from the people that went, who go to festivals, who run festivals. It was, um, it was really, really rewarding. And um, yeah, I definitely like leaned, you know, we met with Mike and said, Hey, what do you think about ticketing? And here's kind of our ideas. And he, he, he gave us some guidance for sure. You know, we reached out to a handful of people, but um, again, like just going back to John's vision too, and his decision-making skills and him just saying, going with his gut saying, this is what we're doing and this is the way it is. Um, and we had a team of people, you know, too, that, that, that helped in regard to like set up and layout and, and um, it definitely, I can't, I, I can't even in my wildest dreams even attempt to take all the credit, obviously. Um, but it was, it was a great team of people and we all, we all got it done. I mean, it's, it's like, we're having a baby. This is coming where we've advertised it. We've, so we gotta, we gotta execute. And, you know, Toro Bravo Inc has a certain standard that we have to live up to. And so we applied that across the board um, to every event. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think it went really well. Definitely freakouts for sure. There were tears. I mean, all of that happened. I think it happens to anybody who's putting together that, that size and scale of an event. Um, and you're dealing with chefs and their staffs and timing and equipment and it's, oh. can't be easy. Can't be easy. And, and, in some cases, you were actually in restaurants, but in other cases, you're out on the street doing this. So it's, yep. it's pretty crazy. Do you see yourself doing, uh, organizing something like this on behalf of Carmen Ranch going forward? Do you think there's something that might be possible for them to promote through that something like that? Yeah, I mean, we would, I, I, definitely talk to Corey about that, you know, upon hiring, like let's, and that's part of also, that's part of my job responsibility is, is outreach coordinator is creating these partnerships and what can we, what can we do? So yeah, I have a ton of ideas once, 
we're in the after times. <laughs> um, you know, we, we partner with, uh, for instance, we partner with Finex um, and they've got a great big gravel lot behind their spot. And I'd love to put something together, you know, with them. And we've, we've been spitballing ideas. Um, I've been working with, I've been talking to some chefs about like putting together some dinners. Um, shout out to Oswego Lake Country Club and Matthew Sigler. He's been great and wanting to put together a dinner and, and support and spread the word. And um, so, and there's other places like Ruthie's that just opened behind someday. Uh, I know they're, they're buying, they're, they're buying Carmen Ranch, Ox, uh, you know, the, the Dentons have always been big supporters of ours. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to put something together for sure. To, it sounds to like that, it. it sounds like that will happen at some, oh, yeah. in the, in the afterworld. There's yeah. uh, there's a new noun, the afterworld. So, <laughs> so, um, so let's, uh, I, I appreciate the time you've taken. We're doing this in the evening. Oddly enough, we've never done this, but I have, now that we're doing this out of our home, we're in, we're not in the afterworld yet. We're out of our homes. I have construction going on next door. And so daytimes have been a little bit challenging to have audio without interruptions. So I appreciate you doing this. Um, before you go, I wanted to get some ideas from you on places that you have been supporting during the pandemic. Did uh, some great food that you've been having out there? Any suggestions you can make? Because no one's ever really clear on who's doing what and what's open and when. It keeps changing. So if you have any good ideas, let us know. Yeah, I have. I've been craving things. I've been having like cravings lately. I mean, I, I go out and support wherever I can, like eating lunch and, and that kind of thing. But what I, what I'm craving recently, um, has been one ranch pizza again, like being from the Midwest, like cast iron pie, like with the, with the cheese that's like caramelized, uh, you know, and it forms its own crust on the exterior square pieces. Yes. All of it. Yes. I love it. Um, with the ranch dressing, are you, you're dipping it in the ranch? No, I'm not a ranch dipper. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, um, which I mean, I tried it. It was okay. It wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, what I thought it was. Okay. Yeah. What else? Yeah, I grew up with that stuff, but yeah, I've never been a ranch dipper with my pizza. Um, yeah. Another place, Jojo PDX, um, whoa, with their crusty, crispy edged smash burgers, super soft bun, shredded iceberg lettuce. Get out of here. American cheese. It is just such a slutty, delicious sandwich. Like just the, the, the burgers. It, it, it's amazing. So anybody who hasn't gone and their fried chicken sandwiches are baller too. Those are really good. Jojo's are great. But I mean, that burger is where it's at. Like I can't, they've ruined burgers for me. I can't eat another, I can't eat anything else in town. Oh no, you don't want to be ruined on burgers. That's tough. I, they're so good. Have you had it? I, uh, I haven't, no. But you're not the first person to mention that. So it's something I'm going to have to do. I have some of my favorite burgers and my burger, uh, my burger interests have changed a little bit. I never really liked 
dinner burgers with lots of stuff on it. I was always a kind of a thick, rare burger yeah. with not much, just some cheese and a good bun. But I've changed. I've I've learned to enjoy pickles and all sorts of things on my burgers. So there's no one's going to ruin a burger for me. I got ruined with fish and chips. That one's tough. Where? Burger. Well, it's on the coast, yeah. South Beach Fish Market. So, uh, and there's another place in Astoria, which I actually may be going soon, which is up in uh, South Bay Wild Fish House. It's really good. Really? Okay. Check yeah, that out. But yeah, yeah you got to check. The, that out. So where else in Portland? Um, I would say uh, there's this uh, there's this taco spot, and I think the secret's out. I've I've known about it for a little while, but I crave their tacos. It's in Cully. Um, it used to be in the parking lot of May or um, Yonder, uh, but uh, Loncheria Los Mayas. Mm-hmm. Whoa, their tacos are so good. And it's not even their tacos. They have these, uh, is it the panuches? They have these things called panuches that are amazing and they've won my heart and I crave them all the time. And you know, like, oh. and I live in Southwest. That's a haul. That's a big drive. I know there's, uh, do you know anything in Southwest? We were all happy that Pac Pac opened up out there and that's gone. No. No. So any, anything you're enjoying in Southwest? Well, the NEC crew um, opened kind of a, a Shalom Y'all spinoff in the village. Right. In Multnomah Village. Okay. And Taste Bud. Taste been... Bud's there. You know, that's good. Taste Bud is good. And have you ever been to Otto and Anita's schnitzel house well, I'm there? I'm embarrassed to say no, I haven't. Well, you don't have to be embarrassed, but you, you should be embarrassed if I check in with you in another six months. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows if they're even doing anything there. But that's a, that's a fun one to go to. And it's not... Portlandy at all. It's really cool. Yeah. It's well, Friar Friar Tuck too. For you for like six dollars, you can get two pieces of fried chicken and like five pounds of JoJo's to go with it and yeah, whole beer. That, that and I'm trying to think of anywhere else. There's a Mexican restaurant called Conan on Barber Boulevard. Yeah. Try that sometime. I think you might enjoy it. Mm. Um, and that's it. There aren't a lot of spots around there. Nope. I'm probably forgetting. Some, I'm probably forgetting something, but your suggestions were great, and they were uh, they were enthusiastic. So um, I hope I'm not the only one that gets down to JoJo and what was that? What was that called? Luncheria Los uh, Los Mayas. Mayas. Luncheria Los Mayas. Mayas. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, that sounds good too. It's on Prescott, um, but it's a food cart. Yeah. Just get over there, get the panuchas. They're so good. Yeah. And I appreciate somebody else who's in Southwest who has to make, you know, a concerted effort to go anywhere. Do you, do you tend to get annoyed at people who say, you know, like when smallwares failed, right? Or, or closed. And it was because of the neighborhood. Did you, do you, living in Southwest, do you get a little annoyed at that? You know, because that was four blocks too far for some people to go? Yes, 100%. I mean, if, <laughs> it's it's a 12-minute drive to get across the river. It's no, well, you're no not, traffic. With, right, now's the best time to do it. Yeah, now it's good. But then yeah. I used to get really annoyed when people say, well, it's a neighborhood. I'm like, well, for me, I had to drive anywhere, so it didn't make any difference. As long as the parking was easy, that was a determining factor, but 
I just it was hard for me to believe that Southwest people have to live in Southwest. And the other thing that's nice about Southwest is um, it's just less congested mm-hmm. overall. Living out there, the whole area, you can get around a little bit easier than you can elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. And you know, and anything is going to be four miles away, so it's just it's not a big deal. I I don't I maybe just because I've only lived in Southwest while living in Portland, but I just don't understand why it's such a heavy lift to cross a bridge. It's not a big deal. Like just oh, get no. out. But not, any, not only crossing the bridge, it's the people who lived over on Alberta where, you know, where, uh, where Smallwares was, was too far for them to go. That's the thing that used to drive me crazy. It was like, yeah. oh, it's in the wrong neighborhood. So anyway. Um, all right. Is there anything else I'm missing? Anything you wanted to impart? Let's talk. Uh, why don't you just mention quickly how to find Carmen Ranch and what to do and what people should be, what people should be doing to enjoy food in ways they haven't before. Yeah. Um, well, we have a variety of pickup sites, so people can go to CarmenRanch.com and just go to shop and. And you can choose a box or you can just make your own kind of order a la carte by goat shopping through the add-on section. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you choose in, in uh, right now we'll probably be running a delivery. Like we're, we're discussing delivery minimums right now, but we, we offer delivery or uh, you can pick up at some of your favorite spots. So John's market division wines, uh, backyard, social finex. Like we have a variety of pickup spots around town. So even if, if, if you want to multitask and get your Carmen ranch order and pick up a six pack of beer or pick up some beautiful wines from, um, Will and Danielle over at division. Um, it's just great that you can, it's, we're, we're, we're partnering with these folks specifically because they're amazing. And, um, because we want to help them and we get in, we want to help them get in front of our, of our, like, base our, our customer base and we want to get in front of their customer base so this is kind of what i'm talking about with with partnerships that people can get online place an order for pickup or for delivery um every week and orders just have to be in by sunday at midnight for the and then you'll get your meat in the next five to seven days so that's fantastic and it's spelled c-a-r-m-a-n ranch.com right. and then also instagram would be the same is it simple carmen ranch yep, yep. At Carmen Ranch, C-A-R-M-A-N. Very um, good. So maybe someday you can um, you can find a way to create a partnership to deliver Carmen Ranch beef and the New York Times out to Manzanita <laughs> together. So I can get both together. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll connect with those people and see if we can uh, see if we can put something together. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Give give them uh, give them a call in Queens, New York. I'm sure they'll uh, be able to figure that out. But I really, you know, it's been quite enjoyable watching you grow in the industry. And I, I don't mean, I hope that doesn't come across condescending at all. I don't mean it to. I just mean, I just, I've watched you from your days when I said, oh, you're volunteering. I didn't even know you were in the food. You're interested in the food industry too. I think you're doing some incredible things. And obviously, Anybody listening to this podcast knows that um, I think you're a force to be reckoned with and you've got a lot that will be happening in front of you. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you, 
I was driven in this is uh, food is always something that I have been passionate about. It didn't start here. It started with home cooking with my mom and my great aunts and uncles and fried chicken in lard, you know, picnics and potlucks and ambrosia salad and all of that. Right. So I was just, it, I felt like I came home to Portland in that sense where all of that was sort of was reawakened. And, and I think that people are lucky if they can find something, find an industry that they can find a job in that they're also that they're passionate about. And, and so that was after working retail and being fired from my job, basically because I had to help my son, you know, finding this, it was really important for me to find something that I was passionate about and that I loved and um, not to say that there aren't challenges and there haven't been challenges, but I am um, so happy to, after that amount of time being able to, find and come across these positions, these opportunities. Um, I just feel really, really lucky. And I hope that in given my nature, I know that that's going to continue. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not all luck either. It's uh, it's drive and, and passion as well. But interesting, as you were saying that when we met, neither of us had anything to do with food in, no. in Portland, Oregon. So I didn't, I didn't know about it. It wasn't until about 2000, nine, 10, that things started to blossom or, or, or the light bulb started going off. So I'm glad we're both, uh, we, we're, we're both, we've crossed paths and we're crossing paths today on the podcast. I appreciate it. I know, me too. Next time I see you, you're going to have to show me what kind of phone you're using. Oh God, that's not important. <laughs> Great. Well, yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Chris. It was a good time. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right